Good morning, everyone, and welcome to anyone who's new and joining us for the first time. And how incredible to think that God's church is still gathering today in homes, in small groups, in large groups, not, not just in South Africa, but across the world. Here's Steve with our next message. Hey everyone, if you've been journeying with us, you would know that we are going through the book of Nehemiah where the central theme is rebuilding, where God is rebuilding the things that have been destroyed around us. But not only does he want to rebuild the things that have been destroyed around us, he wants to rebuild us as a people. He wants to reorientate us as a people around him. And that is where the real rebuilding is. Now we are at the end of March and it has almost been a year since coronavirus has devastated our planet. For most of this time, we as a church have been meeting online, which on one side has been absolutely fantastic that we have the technology and the ability to do so. But we all know that that is not what God's primary plan A for his church is. And yet the other truth which we have to hold on to is that whether we're gathered on a Sunday morning in a large group and we pray that that is going to happen again, or whether we're gathering in our homes, or whether we are kind of scattered in our jobs and in our homes, we are still the church. And so I want to suggest something to you, that as we yearn to be together again, and as we see that as one of the ways that God is rebuilding us, I want to suggest that one of the things we yearn for is to yearn to be the people that God is shaping us to be. And that's not going to happen only in some future date. God is doing that now. How is he shaping us? How is he transforming us to be a certain kind of a people that as he rebuilds our hearts and reorientates us around him, that whether we're gathered or scattered, we are his people representing him well in this world. So how does God do that? Well, last week we saw that one of the primary things that has to be in place is the foundation of God's word. Last week we saw that as God was rebuilding his people, not just the wall, that he started them at the foundation of his word. They listened to his word being read day and night. They listened with joy because it was being made clear to them as the priests taught it to them. They were celebrating because now they understood it. And then as certain things came to them that they weren't doing, they immediately responded and put those things into practice. And in the same way, God's word needs to be that foundation in our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at an equally important foundational principle or practice or habit that we as God's people have to embody if we are going to be transformed into this people that God is wanting to rebuild us into. Now we're going to be looking at chapter 9, which picks up about three weeks after the end of chapter 8. So let's read the first three verses, which says this. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins 
and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. As we're thinking about God reforming us and rebuilding us, the core practice that we're going to see God speaking to us today is that of repentance. Repentance. Now sermons on repentance and confession aren't generally sermons we like or enjoy. We love the sermons on victory and power and breakthrough. But somehow we always manage to skip the sermons on confession and repentance and dealing with our sins. And yet, real transformation in our lives is only achieved through repentance. So let's talk just briefly about what repentance is and what it is not. For many people, they kind of use the words repentance and Confession as if they're kind of the same word. They are definitely related and we will see that today. But they are different ideas. Confession is agreeing with God. Repentance is living that out with God. Let me expand on that. Confession is agreeing with God. Especially with regards to my sin. So I may have a certain feeling about what I'm doing in my life. But then God disagrees with me and confession is me agreeing with God, changing my mind. And so I agree with God with regards to my sin. I I agree with God's perspective of my life when it comes to how I manage my life and my finances and my time. Confession is more specifically agreeing with God with regards to how I may have fallen short with what God wants for my life. So that is confession. Repentance is how I live that out. It's how I follow that up with real changes and transformation in my life. So let me give you an example, maybe something you can identify with. Confession is, I shouldn't have eaten that donut. And I feel a little bit guilty about that. But then maybe that's where it stops. And so the next day I happen to find another box of Krispy Kreme on my kitchen counter, right? Right? Repentance is, I start with confession, I shouldn't have eaten that donut, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive home the long way around so that I don't even get tempted to go into Krispy Kreme. Confession is, oh, I've picked up some Corona weights, I really need to do something about that, I feel bad about that. Now that is true and that's a good starting point, but again it can stop there. Repentance is, oh wow, I start with confession. I've picked up some Corona weight. I need to do something about that. All right. Who's going to come running with me tomorrow morning and the next day? And who's going to help me and encourage me to do that? Can you see the difference? Confession is acknowledging God's perspective of my sin and what he wants for my life. Repentance is doing something about it as I align my life with God's will and God's word and God's ways. And what we see in these verses are some core elements that are going to encourage real repentance in our lives. And that is that repentance is shaped by God's word and is shaped by worship. So let's first talk about how repentance is shaped by God's word. And I know we touched on this last week, but let's go a little bit deeper. Here in the word we see that they spent a quarter of the day 
hearing God's word and they spent a quarter of the day responding to God's word in confession. So how does God's word and confession and repentance link up? Well, at the risk of sounding like such a typical Baptist preacher, which I'm okay with sometimes. Guys, if we want real transformation in our lives and we are not rooted in God's word, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are selling ourselves short. That's like saying, I want to grow in language. I want to grow in my ability to work well with language, but I don't want to learn how to read or write. Or it's like saying, I want to get rich and I want to grow and develop wealth, but I don't want to learn about how money and how markets work. Can you see that? You see, one of the metaphors for God's word is that it is a mirror to me. We saw this last week in James chapter 1. And the point is, just like I in the morning will get up and I'll shave, and then I'll look in the mirror and I'll realize I've still got some shaving cream over here, and I missed the spot over there. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked intently into the mirror. And so that reflects back to me the changes that I need to make. In the same way, I'm going to be reading God's word and see it as a mirror to me. And I'm going to realize, oh wow, I've missed that. Oh wow, I never knew that about me. It's going to be showing me things that have maybe been in my blind spots, things that I'm not aware of. You see, here's one of the things that I think we try and do as Christians. We try to get away without that reflection. And so we try and avoid some of the more big obvious sins, like don't kill people and have affairs. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to not kill people and to try not have affairs. And so we think, well, if I'm not killing people and I'm not having affairs and I'm just trying to live a good life, that's all it means to be a Christian. And in the same way, I'm saying, guys, we're selling ourselves short. You see, if I regularly expose myself to God's word, I allow it to be a mirror to me. It is going to start showing me things that I would never have thought of. As I said earlier, it's going to start showing me things that were maybe in my blind spots. And we need to remember that God's spirit is saturated in this whole experience. So because I'm submitting myself to God's voice and his spirit is at work, maybe God's word is going to start convicting me of things that ordinarily I wouldn't be convicted of. Some of these things that I'm going to respond to in God's word are going to be minor adjustments. Some are going to be mid-sized adjustments. Some are going to be major adjustments that are going to take years to work through. But the point is, this is formative. The goal of being a Christian is not to not kill people and have affairs. The goal of being a Christian is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And the key mechanism for that is repentance. And it has to be shaped by God's word because it is formative. And step by step, after hundreds and after thousands of steps, I'm going to start seeing how the spirit of God is transforming me. And yes, he is making me more like his son in this world. So here's how I try and do that. And maybe this would help you. When I read God's word in the morning, I don't just read it and say, Amen. I read it and then I intentionally ask myself this question. How am I falling short? Now, this is not like self-flagellation. This is about realizing that God has more for me and that God's word is a mirror to me. So how am I falling short? How have I not fully lived out the image of God in this way? How have I not represented Christ well by my thoughts, by the way I think about God and myself and in my behavior? 
And I don't just think about that for a few seconds. Sometimes I, I write it out. I, I take a focused effort to understand how I've fallen short. Maybe I ask myself, why? Why do I not want to believe this particular truth? Why is it that I am regularly being tripped up and not living this out? Or why is it that I haven't even noticed this in my life? And I write that out and then I, I pray that out. And that's what confession is. Lord, I have fallen short in the following ways regularly. And here's some of the struggles of my heart as I regularly do not live out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then I confess what I ought to be doing. God, here's what you want for me. Here's what you want for my life. Here's what it should be looking like. And again, I'm getting that from whatever passage that I'm dealing with on that particular day. And then what I do is I choose God's will over my will. I choose God's will over my will. We're going to talk more about this later on. But I choose that in prayer. God, I choose to believe you. I choose to believe your assessment of my life. I choose to believe what you say about this. I choose your way and your will and your kingdom. And then I trust that God's Spirit is going to empower me to grow in that. I go out and I live out that day. God's Word is going to come back to me throughout the course of that day. God's Spirit is going to prompt me in a number of different ways. And you know what? Then you do the same thing the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And over the course of many, many years, we're going to start seeing transformation. This key element of repentance has to be in place. Because repentance is shaped by God's Word. But secondly, we also see that repentance is shaped by worship. So how does that work? Well, let me again maybe take it from how I've experienced this. You see, when I become convicted by God, and when I become so painfully aware of my failings and my shortcomings, I become quite tunnel-visioned. I become focused on how I failed. And that is the starting point, but often it stops there. And I'm focused on me and my self-pity and my failings. Whereas what worship does, it does this. It allows me to see God. Not only with my mind, but with my heart. I'm training my heart that in light of my sin, God is still good. I get to look up at Him. I get to appreciate Him. I get to see His majesty. I get to see and behold what He has done. I get to worship in spirit and in truth. And you know what happens? Instead of confession feeling like going to the principal's office where he's just waiting there to give me a whack. Now I know these days you're not allowed to do that anymore. I've still got that in the back of my mind. Alright. I get to see God as a good father. I get to choose him because I've seen him. I want to live according to his way. I'm not being compelled externally by some mean old judge in the sky. But wow, God is good. God is a good father. God is great. God is mighty. God's ways are good. And now I want to confess. Now I want to repent. Now I want to be transformed into his likeness. So if we read on over the course of chapter 9 for about two pages, what we see is that the Levites, they stand up, they start praising God, and then they start systematically working through Israel's history, starting right at the beginning. And what they start highlighting 
very boldly, all right, in prayer in front of all of these people, is how at every major point of Israel's history, God was faithful and they were not. God was merciful, they were not. God was patient and they were not. And then again, God is patient again, and they were not. God is faithful again, and they were not. And they end at the point where they are now in history realizing this position we find ourselves in is not God's fault. We got ourselves into this position. Let's read the end of the story from verse 33. In all that has happened to us, you have been just, you have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Even while they were in your kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. But because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. I don't know if you've seen that. Let me apply it to some of our lives. Some of us right now are very angry with God because He has lovingly allowed us to eventually experience the consequences of our own decisions and our own actions. Now, I'm not saying that all pain and difficulty in our life is because that is what God is doing. But for some of us, we have made some bad decisions. We have repeatedly chosen my will over God's will. We have repeatedly, like God's people, experienced some of the benefits of being in His kingdom. And yet we've still chosen our wisdom over His wisdom. And then we find ourselves in a tight spot and we're angry with Him. But maybe if we could see our life the way God sees it, the way these Levites are telling the story of these Israelites... That actually it was God who was faithful, God who was patient, God who was merciful, and I'm the one who chose against that. And so the situation I'm in now is not because of God, it's because of me. And that's a sobering thought and a thought that takes great courage to have. And so maybe if God's Spirit is saying that maybe that's you right now without condemning you, Maybe verse 33 needs to be a prayer for you. In all that has happened to me, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. So let's see how the story continues. Verse 38. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Then we get chapter 10, which we're not going to read. But chapter 10 is their commitments. They are making a covenant. They're putting it into writing. They're saying, here is what we are going to do. We're going to choose your way and your kingdom, God. When it comes to marriage, you can go read it for yourself. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to the temple, when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to first fruits, when it comes to tithing, we, God, are going to put you first in all things. 
And guys, that is at the heart of repentance. It's not about getting a smack from God. It's about confessing God's view of my life and choosing His will and His way and choosing to put Him first in all things, in all ways, every single day. It is praying as Jesus teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Today and tomorrow, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. That is repentance. So I want to encourage you that as we become repenters, that you make an active choice. Maybe like these people, you're going to write that down. You're going to make a bit of a covenant. Here's what I choose for my marriage. Here's what I choose for my time. Here's what I choose for my finances. Here's what I choose for my thought life. Here's what I choose for my decisions. And you're going to write that down. You're going to bring it before God in prayer. You're going to do that with others. You're going to make yourself accountable to other people. You see, if we don't do this, let me point out something that you know. If we don't actively choose God every single day and to be honest every moment of the day there's something in us that automatically veers away from him just like if you take your hand off the steering wheel of a car it just automatically gets off course so when we are not actively choosing God when we are running in neutral when we are unthoughtful about our lives we will naturally veer of course, even those of us who may consider ourselves moral people, if we are not actively choosing God regularly, our hearts are going to go towards some of the more acceptable sins like pride and self-righteousness. So we, as we've exposed ourselves to God's word and as if we confessed and we've agreed with God, we need to make an active choice. So I want to strongly encourage that you add these two words to your prayer life. And that is this. You'll never forget this. I choose. I choose. God, I've agreed with you when it comes to my sin and your perspective on my life. I've confessed and I've agreed with you with regards to what you want for my life and the vision you have for my life. And now I choose. I choose to do this. I choose to believe you. I choose to engage your will and your kingdom in the following ways. And then when I fall, I wake up the next day and I say, Lord, but I choose. I confess. I confess your will and then I choose. And then I fail again. And then I wake up the next morning and I say, but God, I choose you. And we do that again and again. Here's a verse that I know I've used regularly here at Riverside. Proverbs 24 verses 16 that says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Righteousness is not necessarily defined by never failing and never falling. It is defined rather by falling forward, falling into God, getting honest with my confession again, choosing God again, and then doing it tomorrow for the rest of my life. And it is somehow in that process, being shaped by God's word, being shaped by worship, being empowered by God's Holy Spirit that I start to see transformation in my life. Now the final thing we see in this passage 
And I want to encourage you to do this. And I know it's tough in these times, but repentance is best done in community. What we see here is not a whole bunch of people repenting on their own. What we see here is a togetherness. We, as God's people, are confessing. We, as God's people, are being exposed to God's word. We, as God's people, are agreeing with God's assessments of things. We are together choosing God's way. We are together making a choice to say, this is what we will be doing from now on. Please don't keep your repentance private. Yes, as Jesus prays, we, we... Yes, as Jesus teaches us to pray, we need to go into the closet. We need to spend time before the Father. We need to hear His voice. Sometimes it takes time and removing ourselves from the many distractions of life. We need to start there. We need to do business with the audience of one. However, it cannot stop there. It has to go from this private interaction to the sense that we are part of a repenting community. That is where so much grace is to be found as we add the word repenting together to this. There are people encouraging me. There are people teaching me. There are people taking me by the hand. I see that I'm not the only one who is failing forward. There are others who are failing forward. And that's what it looks like. And that's what transformation looks like. And that is an insightful way to deal with my particular situation. We need to be a repenting community. So what does it look like? to be a repentant community. Well, I think there are a number of things, coronavirus aside, that can get in the way of us being a repentant community. And the first one is where sin is never dealt with. Now guys, here's something that we try and preach loudly and boldly, and that is that grace accepts scandalously. Jesus says to the religious moral leaders of the time, he says, Sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom before you. Why? Because they know they need grace and they come to Jesus to accept it. The Pharisees are so self-righteous that they don't. Grace accepts scandalously because the gospel is not that I come to God based on my good works, but on His good work and the fact that I need the grace that His good work provides for me. That is the gospel. It accepts scandalously. It blows our mind. However, for some of us, that's where it stops. And so we spend the rest of our lives just going, I can do whatever I want because of grace. I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Here's what God's word says to us. While he accepts us scandalously, and while my salvation is not based on how well I obey God's law or how moral or how nice I am. While that is the starting point, what God wants to do from that point onwards in your life is to transform you into increasing degrees of God's glory. He wants to transform you into the image of His Son. He wants to take you on a journey from that point onwards where you start following Jesus. And so that at some point you can say, follow me. As I follow Christ. In other words, transformation is an essential part of the journey. And if transformation is an essential part of the journey, that means repentance is an essential part of the journey. I'm hoping you're seeing that repentance is not something that I did once when I responded to the gospel in high school. Repentance is something I embody every single day. It is an attitude of the heart. 
That as I worship God, as I come before His Word, I am a repenter. And that is where the transformation is. And that means we do need to talk about sin. It is not just about you do you, I do me, you do what feels good to you. Culture will applaud you for that. But we will miss out on the transformation that God wants for your life. So if we never deal with sin, we won't see that transformation. A second thing that can get in the way of us being a repenting community is graceless legalism. This is where we only ever deal with sin. This is where it is only ever the stick and never the carrots. This is where it is only ever how you failed God. What a disgusting sinner you are. How pathetic you are. And the kind of implication is sort yourself out. And we never point to Romans chapter 2 which said it is God's kindness that leads to repentance. We never recognize that yes, sin is uh, dishonorable before God. But God took it so seriously that he took it upon himself. So let's point towards the cross where Jesus didn't make you pay for your sin. He paid for your sin and he offers you his righteousness and he offers you his life. So let's see the invitation to more. Let's see the forgiveness that we receive in Christ. Let's see what God has for us and not just what he wants from us. And so graceless legalism is always going to get in the way of us being a repentant community. And finally, self-righteousness, which is related, is going to get in the way of us being a repentant community like we see here in the book of Nehemiah. Self-righteousness is best defined by its self-righteousness. It's that I have a righteousness of myself that is enough for me. And the way this looks is we all walk around with the sense of we are okay. And whether we're consciously trying to fool ourselves into that or whether we actually unconsciously believe that I'm okay. There's nothing in my life that God needs to speak to me about. There's no repenting that I need to do. We start getting into a place where we don't need grace. Where we believe we don't need grace. That's a very dangerous place to be. Let me tell you something, that churches where everyone wears a mask are easier churches to be in. There's no mess. There's no issues. There's no people realizing what is truly going on in their lives and heart and that we need to bring this before God. But if we become this community where we allow God's word to speak to us, where we allow His His Holy Spirit to invite us into His kingdom and to transform us, Those churches are going to get messy. But Riverside, this is what God wants for us. To create an environment where we're not legalistic and graceless. Where we're safe enough to bring our masks off. And we're bold enough to say, here's where God is calling me to repentance. And I need others to help me in that. So, as we pray. I wonder what God has been highlighting for you and I want to invite you as uncomfortable as it may be to have the courage to simply acknowledge and confess before God even in the quietness of your own heart and mind or maybe you jot it down on your phone or your journal what has God been highlighting for you? Here are some questions to help you. Maybe God has been highlighting a sin in your life that he's been trying to speak to you about. A sin that maybe once or twice you've confessed or maybe you've tried to repent, but it's been kept in the dark. And God is calling you to re-engage that. 
God is lovingly inviting you to acknowledge and confess what is true about your sin, but what is also true about what He wants for your life. Maybe some of you are being convicted about more regularly engaging God's Word to be a mirror in our lives. Again, not only to show us how pathetic we are as sinners, but to reflect how we have fallen short and then to invite us that there's more. Here's what God wants for our lives. Here's how we can be a light in this world. But I need to be shaped by God's word. Maybe some of you are realizing that your caricature of God is that of this judge who can't wait to punish you. And maybe what God's inviting you to is a heart of worship. That he wants you to see him as good. He wants that to transform your mind and your heart. And maybe that creates the courage for you to get real with your sin as you confess that to God. And we begin this process of repentance. Maybe some of you have been wrestling with some really serious stuff and you've tried to do all of this on your own. And you've tried hard and you've tried seriously. But maybe what God is saying to you is to become part of this repenting community. Maybe you need to invite someone to become part of your journey. Someone who's going to encourage you and pray with you and help you come to God. Help you come to His Word. Help you come to His cross and His grace and His forgiveness. And walk this journey out with you. And finally, maybe God is convicting some of you of self-righteousness. Where you've been living this conscious or this unconscious lie that I'm actually okay. And maybe you started to realize that God has more for you. That God does want to maybe expose some things in your heart or some shortcomings in your thinking with regards to His will and His way and His glory in your life. And maybe you're sensing this invitation to more. So regardless of what God has said to you today, let's pray. And Father, I thank you that every time we come to your word, that your spirit is there, making your word living and active, penetrating our hearts, transforming us, convicting us, inviting us. And Father, as each and every single one of us has identified what you are saying to us as individuals, God, I pray for the courage to respond, for the courage to confess, to acknowledge what is true according to your assessments of sin in my life, your assessments of what you want for my life, who you are, who I am, what the cross is in my life. God, that we've got the courage to choose you. We've got the courage to put certain practices in, in our life so that we can work with your transformation in our life. Father God, that we have the conviction to come to your word and that your spirit speaks powerfully into our lives through your word. God, that we see you as beautiful and powerful and majestic in worship. And Father God, I ask that you make us a repenting community, that we are a place where we are encouraging one another as we move forward forward into your will and your ways God God will you do this great and mighty work amongst us we pray this in your name amen